in me. He didn't force himself on the people of Israel, even though he delivered them out of Egypt, even though he did all that stuff and delivered them through the through that great Red Sea. He didn't force it upon them. He said, I want to lead you, but he, he waited for them to put their trust in him. He's not, you know, God is great and he's mighty and he's the almighty God and he's the all powerful one and, but he won't force you to serve him. He won't even force you to decide to serve him. As great and as powerful and as mighty as he is, he's limited by our will that he gave us. He will not usurp your human will. If you decide you don't want to serve God, he ain't gonna, he's not gonna just knock you down and, and sit on your chest like some bully and say, you're gonna serve me, son, or daughter. He's not gonna do that. He's gonna say, he's gonna try to, to, like he did the Pharisees and the scribes and all those, he's gonna try every way he can to get you to turn, but if you don't want to turn, he don't, it's not that he doesn't care. But he's just saying, that's your decision. You made your choice. Demas in the Bible, he made his choice. He made, he didn't make a very good choice, but he made a choice. God didn't, you know, I don't ever read about Demas after I read that in, in scripture. I don't know if he ever came back to God or not. He could have. It's not written about, but so, you know, I mean, we just, we serve an awesome God. But it's amazing how our human will will usurp the will of God. It's his will that we be saved. He, the Bible says that he would that all men might be saved. Might. I know it's the King James translation, but I believe that's pretty accurate. He, It's his desire that we might want to be saved, that we might want to have a relationship with him. That's what it is. It's not just some step you take in a 12-step process. <laughs> it's a relationship, right? I had to want to stand at that altar and say those I do's and I wills and all that stuff. I Nobody made me do that, right? Men, ladies that are married, nobody made you stand there. You wanted to be there that day, right? Those eyes of that man were glowing when that bride was coming down that aisle in that beautiful dress. Like, oh, man, it's finally here, right? right? Am I right? Right? I, right. We still feel like that, hopefully. Right? And I want to keep feeling like that about my Jesus. I want it to be like it was just like we just started dating yesterday. Right? You mean we're dating Jesus? Well, of course we are. Man, that's that's a relationship. I want to have date night with Jesus every night. Right? Don't you? And date day and, and all through the day. Right? Right? I heard one preacher say, I told my wife 35 years ago when I married her, I loved her, and I said, and I told her if I changed my mind, I'd let her know. I don't want to be like that with Jesus. Do you? Right? I want him to know every day, I love you. 
He, you, he loves me, but I don't want to take that for granted. I know this has nothing to do with our lesson. I just felt prompted to say all that, and maybe it's for to help somebody. Amen? Because I'm just trying to do what he's telling me to do today. And I, there was something else while I was praying. I was thinking about this scripture in Isaiah 64, and then I'll get started on my lesson after this. Isaiah 64 and 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what hath what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Anybody ever read that before? Doesn't sound real, kind of sounds like something else in the Bible, doesn't it? Well, there's a guy named Paul who quoted that. Paul liked quoting the Old Testament. Right? He did. A lot of what they did in the New Testament was quoted right out of the Old Testament. Because that was the only scripture they had to go by, wasn't it? Because those guys were writing what we're reading today. They were writing it. They were living it. So they didn't have it. They didn't have a New Testament to go by. They were the New Testament. So... Paul quotes it like this. But as it is written, see, he says, he, he gives credit. He's referring back to Isaiah. As it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, mankind, the things that which God hath prepared for them that love him. That's a really cool sounding scripture, isn't it? Wow, that's deep. But I like one of our... PI instructors said it this way. We don't know what we don't know about God. We do, we do not know. When you think you know, you don't know. We haven't even scratched the surface of the things of God. We haven't even come close to scratching the surface. Like, I think, um, might have been Brother Plam. One of, one of the guys in our district said it like this. It's like you're sitting in a boat out on the ocean, and all the revelation that God has given you is represented by the, all the water you can see on the surface, as far as you can look in all directions, right? Anybody ever been out on the ocean on a boat where you can't see land? Anybody? Wayne's been in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> We went out fishing in Okinawa once, and we went out so far you couldn't see land. And that's it's pretty expansive. I mean, it's pretty kind of scary when you think about it when you can't see land in any direction. And so this preacher said that that represents our where we are in our revelation that God's given us. All the water that's under the ocean that you can't see represents the revelation He hasn't given you yet. There's a whole lot more of that than there is what you can see on top, isn't there? So the depth of, you know, how deep are we? The guys that have scuba dived, they know. They've seen that down there. But if you've never put on a snorkel and a mask and all that, and 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 tanks and hoses and all that, and gone down below the surface, you have no idea what's down there. You might have seen pictures, but you don't really, you haven't seen it for yourself. So I want to, I don't know about you this morning, but I want to go deeper than the surface. I want to get, I want to get my spiritual scuba gear on and get down there in the deep. You know, when you, 
when you wear scuba gear, it's, there's a risk. It might cost you something. You go too deep and you can get the bends. You go, you go too deep and you can get this thing called mask squeeze where it sucks the blood right out, out of your eyes. And, and I know that sounds gross, but there's a risk in going deeper in God. But I don't want to be satisfied with being on the surface in a boat. Do you? Is that a good picture right there? I think it might have been, I don't, I don't remember who it was. It was out of one of our men's things that, but it was just stuck with me when he said that. I said, man, that is, to excuse the pun, that's deep. <laughs> right? So anyway, here we go. Practical religion. I'm done exhorting or whatever you want to call it. Praise God. Then none of that was in my mind when I got in the car to come to church this morning. So it had to be from God. So we're talking about practical religion here. James 1, 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so we're going to move right on here to James chapter 3. We were already in James chapter 3 last Sunday. And um, we were talking about the unbridled tongue last Sunday, if you remember. And so we kind of at the end, I, I quoted a little saying that somebody else said that God gave the, the tongue two gates to hide behind, the teeth and the lips. And the, the intention, I think, was to kind of keep that thing in there. Because we got into that lesson if we let this thing go, I mean, as one one preacher said, it's in a slippery place. You better be careful because it'll start spewing stuff that, you you know, the Bible says. I didn't say this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. All right? So whatever you got going on inside, if you're not careful, it'll come out. And sometimes it'll come out and you didn't mean to say it. Right? Anybody ever heard the term? Having somebody having a sharp tongue? Yeah. Whew. We talked about that word. Well, let's go ahead and read uh, James chapter 3, verse 9 through 13. Then we'll get into a little bit more in depth here. So James chapter 3, verse 9 through 13 starts out like this. Therewith bless we God. Talking about the tongue. Right? Even the Father. And therewith curse we men. He wasn't saying that we might do this. Just This is James writing his last letter before he goes to the guillotine or wherever, however they killed him. I know it's probably in there. I just don't remember. But they killed him. And so he's writing this letter trying to encourage the church, and he's telling them from his own experience that the same mouth we use to bless God is the same mouth we use to curse men. Wow which are made after the similitude of God. Who's he talking to in this letter, by the way? Church people, right? He's not talking to sinners, not like unsaved sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? But he's talking to the church. He's talking to his people, his brethren, his fellow believers. 
He's, in, he's trying to encourage them and he's bringing this stuff up. So there must have been some kind of issue with this. this if you can go back to the letters of, that Paul wrote. All these letters were written to the churches after the day of Pentecost to help them because they were a fledgling new church. And so they were kept falling back into some of this stuff. And so Paul and these other writers were writing to help them keep keep this thing moving forward. Don't fall back into the old ways. Don't fall back into old thinking. Don't let these old spirits get back into the church. And so he's telling them this stuff. He says, out of the same mouth, proceed the blessing and cursing, my brethren. See, he calls them brethren. Not talking down to them. He's talking at them. He's on the same level. These things ought not to be so. Doth a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Rhetorical question. Right? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Kind of the obvious answer, right? Either fine, either a vine, figs. So can no fountain both yield sweet, yield salt water and fresh. Who's, who is wise, a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Or wise person? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. And we talked about that word mouth. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. And that word mouth in the, in the complete word study dictionary, which is essentially the concordance, says this. It's stoma. And it means mouth, opening, edge, figuratively meaning edge or point of a weapon, the figure being taken from the mouth as armed with teeth and biting as in beasts the front or foremost part also the front of an army in the new testament a sword or a point of a knife so the mouth is referred to in this scripture as a knife and out of the same mouth out of the same weapon you want to read it that way proceedeth blessing and cursing it's a weapon Anybody ever heard that the mouth referred to as a weapon? <laughs> it is a weapon. You can destroy somebody with your words. You can commit murder without ever pulling out a knife or a gun or a hammer or whatever you want, physical device you want to murder them with physically. You can kill somebody with your words. So that's why, that's why he's emphasizing this. So there must have been a problem with people using their words wrong in the church. Does that make sense? Otherwise, James wouldn't be writing about it. And I already talked about the word sharp-tongued. Yeah. When you hear that, you, you think somebody that can't control their mouth. Right? The Word of God is likened to a weapon or a knife that is sharper than any two-edged sword in Hebrews 4 and 12. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Revelation 1.16, it says, speaking of Jesus, it says that out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That same word, mouth, in Revelation is the exact same word that we just read in James. Out of his weapon, because Jesus Christ's word, the word, is a, is a sword. It, it's like a surgical instrument. Divides asunder, the Bible says, right? of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner, he'll cut right down. 
He'll cut down to the chase in your life. He'll cut down to where you really are. What do you think he was doing with Job? Job was a man that walked after God, and but there was something in Job, some little attitude or spirit, and we found that out, didn't we? If you read through the book of Job, you find out. It eventually comes out, and then, oh my goodness, I would have hated to have been Job. When God sat him down and said, okay, son, where were you? <laughs> when that started, I would have been like running for the corner. Hiding. You can't hide from God, though, can you? He couldn't turn around and hide his face from God. He had to sit there. He said, sit there as a man and answer me. Where were you? Where, where were you when I created thunder and lightning and snow? Where were you, Job? Who do you think you are, Job? You better realize who you are in me. Now, was God, I was kind of like, like a dad, kind of yelling at son, you know, he's, I'm trying to help you here. That's what he was saying. So what happened? At the end of that, Job repented. He said, you're right. Who am I to question God? We just read that in Isaiah 64 and 4 and, and in 2 Corinthians 2 and 9. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. We have no idea why God does what he does. Why does he let this one die and this one live? Why does he let that one have cancer and that one not have cancer? Anybody? No. We don't even want to attempt to answer that question. Because his ways, he gave us that scripture, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The, the quicker we can acknowledge that every day of our life and say, you know, I, I'm just a branch. If I don't stay connected to the vine, I'm just going to die. You know, you go out and cut a branch off that tree and lay it next to the tree, and it's not going to live just because it's laying next to the tree. It's got to be connected to the tree. And it might look good for a while, but eventually everything on the end of it's going to die because it's not connected to the source of life. So we need him. Amen? We're talking about the tongue. Who is wise? Man and endued with knowledge among you. James 3.13. Let him or let that person show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. James 3.13 in the New Living Translation says this, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Anybody ever, you ever heard anybody tell you, prove it? You love me? Prove it. You're serious about this? Prove it. How you prove it? By your actions, right? You might say you're committed to this, that, or the other, but prove it. Prove it. Show me, show me that you mean it. Show me that you mean what you say, right? We, we use that all the time in, in, in the world, in everyday life. You know, like a teenager wanting to get his driver's license. Prove to me you want to get your driver's license. Study the book. Learn the signs. Take the test and pass it. Prove to me. My dad used to say to me, because me and my brothers and sisters would always say, I'm going to do this, Dad, and I'm going to do that. And he'd say, yeah, you sound like you're talking like an Indian. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. Don't tell me what you're going to do. He'd say, go do it, and then come back and tell me that you did it. 
And I used to hate when he said that, but he was right. <laughs> Dads are always right. Right? Usually. Most of the time. They make mistakes too, but I'll admit it. I made a couple. But by God's grace and mercy, they turned out pretty good anyway. Praise God. You know, when you when you take your child and you dedicate them to the Lord, that doesn't negate you from having to do some things along the way, right? Oh, they're yours now, God. You raise them. That's not how it works. Right? He don't come and change their diaper. You got to do it. Dads. You got to do it, right? I'm right. I know I'm right. I've been there, done that. I've lived it. Prove it. Prove you love that child. Raise him right. Right? So this scripture in the New Living Translation says that we, are, if we're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good with, doing good works, and I, I inserted their kingdom works, with the humility that comes from wisdom. What wisdom? It just said the wise, if you are wise and understand God's ways, so it's God's wisdom then, right? So that scripture says if who is wise in God's ways, who, is, who has God's wisdom among you and is endued with knowledge from God, godly knowledge, not just human knowledge. You know, there's a lot of intelligent people out there that don't, that God can't get into their brain because they, they're so smart, they can't receive revelation. Right? Even Bible scholars, God, they, you know, the things that in this book are spiritually discerned, right? Is that what the book says? So you can study it as in your human brain all day long, but if, if you don't open your heart and submit yourself to God and let Him bring revelation to you, you're never going to get it. You're never really going to fully understand what He's saying. That's why I'm so thankful for the Holy Ghost. That's why I'm thankful for this salvation experience because God started opening doors in my understanding and he's still doing it to this day. He's still giving anybody in here not receiving little chunks of knowledge and little revelations for you in your life when you see something. And, you know, God might have showed that to a 100 different people, but he never showed it to you till that moment. And you're sitting there reading that going, wow, I never saw that. That's revelation. That's God giving you, he's taking you a little bit deeper. Amen? So, I wanted to kind of emphasize on the word humility. Because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He had all wisdom and all knowledge. He was God. He didn't have to strive for it. He had it all the time. And he used it with humility. You never... Almost never. There was a couple of times he kind of got up in some people's faces, but he still did it with humility. He still did it with love and compassion. He did it out of a love for, because that was his creation. You understand? He was God. And so it was his creation. He wanted them to be saved. He wanted them to turn from their wicked ways. He wanted them to turn from their religious exercises and Follow him and understand who he was. Right? He didn't want them to be lost. He didn't want them to be blinded. He called one group of people in in the New Testament, ye blind guides. 
So you can be a leader and you can be a guide and be blind. And, you know, what's the Bible says? If you're blind leads the blind, <laughs> they're both going to fall in the ditch. And that's not just talking about physically blind. There's there's a picture there of a physical blind person leading a physical blind person. They're both, they can't see the ditch. They're going to fall in it. But if you're spiritually blind, you might mean well, but you're going to, and if you're leading people, they're going to go in the ditch with you. God help me if I'm doing that. That's my prayer. God, help me every day. I, you know, I, I get up and say that. And you, I live and move and have my being. If I'm breathing right now, standing in the shower, it's because you let me wake up and have breath today. You didn't call my number in the middle of the night. I get to live another day because he let me live another day. And so I want to enter into this. When I step out that door and get in that truck and drive to work, I want to pull in that parking lot and get out of that truck and walk in that building and and confront those people every day with, I want to carry Jesus with me. I don't want to, I know they're going to see Vince, but I don't want them to see me. I want them to feel something. It's not just feeling, but I want them to feel something that that's the love of Jesus that they can't sit down and write it down and say, this is what I felt today. They don't, they don't know what it is. They feel something. I want them to feel that, and I want to do it with humility, not with arrogance, not with up in their face, right? Jesus not never got up in anybody's face about salvation, did he? Even the woman that came to him in adultery. What did, what did he say? Caught in the act of adultery. What did he say to her? Neither do I condemn you. He picked her up off the ground. He loved her, and he said, now, go and sin no more. Where are the accusers, he asked. Oh, they're all gone. I don't accuse you either. He's not He's not here to accuse us today. James 3, 14 through 17 in the King James says this, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth from a, not from above. So there's wisdom from God, and then there's other wisdom. I don't know if you'd even want to call it wisdom. (laughs) But there is a wisdom that does not come from God, right? But is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So I wanted to focus on that, this set of verses right here. And it says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, if you have self-ambition, if you're more interested in what's makes you happy and pleasing to you and if you have this this attitude this spirit of self-ambition and people with ambition it's good to have ambition but ambition can be a thing that can really hurt you it can be you can be so driven with ambition that you don't even really think about anybody else but yourself and that's what this is talking about bitter envying and strife self-ambition selfish ambition 
Glory not and lie not against the truth. In the New Living Translation, it says, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. It's not all about us, right? If we're serving him, it's not all about us at all, is it? Because if you're, if you believe those scriptures that say, without me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine. You're the, I'm the, you're the vine. I'm the branch. And you, I live and move and have my being. And all those scriptures, you believe that every day, then you're, you're not going to be all about yourself. You're going to be about what, you know, there's one scripture in the Bible that says, do you, do you want to please man or please God? Which is it? Because you're doing one or the other, right? Your actions, your life every day, is it, are you going about your life and saying, is what I'm doing and what I'm saying out of this mouth, this sword, pleasing to God? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in man's sight. No. Let it be pleasing in the pastor's sight. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to be pleasing. <laughs> but the ultimate goal is to be pleasing in his sight. Because believe me, if you're pleasing in his sight, the rest of it's going to get taken care of, isn't it? Right? You're going to, if you're trying to please Jesus every day, you're going to be pleasing to your boss. You're not going to have to work hard at trying to be the best you can be in the, for the kingdom at your workplace. It's going to happen naturally because you're worried, you're more worried about pleasing him. If you take care of this part, this part will be taken care of. And people will know that. They'll, they'll recognize that. They'll, they'll know that your focus is not on pleasing men. Hallelujah. That's right. James is speaking, or he's writing, really, to the church. As I already indicated earlier, he's writing to saved people. And he's writing to people that probably had some issues with this. James himself probably had some issues with this. Right? Seems likely, doesn't it? James 3.15 in the God's Word translation says this, That kind of wisdom doesn't come from above. It belongs to this world. It is self-centered and demonic. Wow. Which kind of wisdom do you have? Which one do you want? Which one are you operating with right now? You have to ask yourself. You have to ask God. Am I doing stuff that's not pleasing to you? Am I, am I using the world's wisdom? Am I using my own wisdom? My own intelligence? My own intellect? Am I trusting in my own intellect? That's what the Jewish religious people were doing. They thought they were so smart because they were the religious leaders. But they were so smart that they didn't even realize that the very scriptures that they supposedly knew that told them in Isaiah 9 and 6 about this child to be born and this son to be given, they missed it. How could you miss that? Right? As a religious leader, how could you miss that? How could Paul miss that? How could they not, how could they not in their studies teach it? How could they not hit Isaiah 9 and 6? 
Isaiah 53. How could they not? (laughs) Did they just skip that? Did he miss class that day? Because that was the same Jesus that came to him on that road. Right? So he must have known something, Paul. Because he did say, Who art thou, Lord? (laughs) Who art thou, Jehovah? That's what he said. And he didn't expect the answer he got, did he? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Whoopsie. Revelation. Didn't even have the Holy Ghost. Received revelation right there on that spot. At high noon on that day when that happened. Because you know, you know he, he received it and believed it because he didn't, the Bible says that they had to take, lead him to a place and he sat there for three days and ate or drank nothing. And he had a lot going on in his mind about that time. He was questioning everything that ever happened to him up to that point. Everything he'd ever been taught, everything he'd ever heard, every, every scripture he had ever studied under Gamaliel. He had, he was questioning everything because this experience did something to him. Did, isn't that what happened to us when we received that experience? It did something to us. It changed us. James 3.15 in the New Living Translation says, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, that's just the New Living Translation. I would say that if if it's unspiritual and demonic, then that means it is spiritual. It's just not God's spirit. It's another spirit. Right? Demonic spirit. Because that's really the root of where all these attitudes come from, isn't it? Right? There's one place in the in the Old Testament where I can't remember which prophet it might have been Ezekiel was talking about the king of Tyre. But then it goes right into, as you read that, it goes right into, you know he's talking about the devil. You just know he is because he refers to him in that scripture. And he said, he says why he fell in that scripture. He said, because iniquity was found in his heart. Well, what, what, what was, what was it that he did that was iniquity that was found in his heart? He usurped God's authority or he attempted to. I'm going to be like God. Put his hand on his little hip like that. I'm going to be like the Most High. I'm going to elevate myself. And God said, oh, really? Is that right? And what happened to him? And so, but he was talking in that scripture about this one that has gone and and just done all this stuff with all these kings and nations. It was all the evil. What he was really saying is all the, the wickedness and the evil thoughts of these kings was rooted in the wisdom of the devil, right? We just read that. Devilish. Satanic. So if you're operating you know if you're operating under satanic wisdom and you don't realize it, oh my goodness. So I you know, I have to go to God and every day I just I do. 
and say, I don't want there to be what, what this scripture is talking about. Don't let there be bitter envying and strife in my heart, God. Don't let there, don't let me have this attitude and this spirit of, I think I'm all that in a bag of chips. I've arrived. Right? What does that one scripture say? I think it's in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Take, take heed when you think you stand. When you, when you think that you're, you're established and you got it all together. Be careful. If you think that, if you if you estimate, if you have a self-estimation, if you're going, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Pulling your straps on your suspenders going, yeah, I got it all again. No. You, Jesus said you better be careful when you start thinking like that. Or Paul said that. Well, I guess Jesus probably. It's his word, right? <laughs> Take, take heed. So I don't want there to be harsh and cruel jealousy in my spirit. That's what bitter envying is. I don't want there to be a jealous spirit that makes war upon all the good that it sees. I don't want there to be this spirit in me that, that troubles, that, that, that causes people to be diminished because of my attitude and my words. I don't want that kind of spirit, do you? And these kind of these two words are joined together, it seems like bitter envying and strife. And that that word strife means to in a in a bad sense cuz you can strive for perfection, right? That's a good striving, right? But if we are seeking our own, if we're we're creating contention and strife and rivalry. It, it represents a motive of self-interest. It's not all about Jesus then. It's all about me. Right? And we got to be careful. So what James is telling the church, be careful. Don't let this spirit and this attitude creep back into the church. That was the same spirit and attitude that the religious Jews had. Not to condemn them, but that was the same problem Jesus dealt with. Because they thought they were up here and everybody else was down here. And they lorded that over the people, even their own people, their own Jewish people. And James is telling them here, be careful of that. James 3 and 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure meaning innocent or blameless or modest or undefiled. That that wisdom from above is from above, from God. There's not going to be anything impure about that wisdom if we're seeking his wisdom. Man, Solomon, he's, he had an awesome opportunity to get anything he wanted. He could have asked for riches, but what did he ask for? Wisdom to lead the people, right? And God said, because you asked for things that not for yourself to heap it upon yourself, but you asked for wisdom to lead the people, I'm going to give you the wisdom you asked for and all this other stuff. Isn't there a New Testament scripture that says something like that? Matthew 6.33, I think. What, what does that say? But seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you seek God first, but his wisdom first, but his way, what do, what do you want to do today, God? What, what, what do we, can I get in line behind you and go where you're going today? 
What do you want to do today, God? Not, God, I'm going to do this today. Are you coming? Do we do that? Sometimes we do. I got all these plans today, God. And I'll try to fit you in. Okay? We do that. You don't have to admit it if you don't want to. But we do that. We do that. We don't mean to. We just, that's how we operate. We're flesh. We're human. That's how we, you know, we, I got to go to work. I got to get up. I got to do these things. But, man, take just a minute to just acknowledge him, his lordship, his headship in your life. And all these things. Do like Job, just repent and say, I know, I miss, I, I know I'm a mess, God, that's why you saved me. I put you first, whatever you're doing, and then he'll add all that stuff to you throughout the day, every day. So that wisdom from above must be first pure, then peaceable, which means harmonious, considerate, or gentle. Gentle, harmonious, considerate. Once again, if you're putting God first in your life, if you're acknowledging Him first and foremost at the beginning of your day, the rest of your day, and if you're as you're doing that throughout the day, it's not going to be hard to follow these things. Then it says gentle, fair and equitable. How many wants to be every wants people to be fair and equitable with you about everything? You don't want people to misjudge you or prejudge you or any of those kind of things, right? You want people to be fair and equitable. Do unto others. <laughs> even the world quotes that. They probably don't even know where it came from. They think it's just a cool saying. But it was in the Word of God. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not do unto others before they do unto you. That's kind of how we do it sometimes. If I don't, yeah, if I don't get him, he'll get me. We don't want to get that attitude. We don't want to get it reversed and get it wrong. Easy to be entreated, willing to yield to others, preferring your brother. That's not just talking about in the line at the buffet. Right? Uh, That's okay. Go ahead. I know there's plenty. Go ahead. Right? We need to do that, too. But preferring our brother might mean something a little uncomfortable. Like, I don't know, taking your whole Saturday to go visit somebody that needs to be visited. It's not what you wanted to do. It's not what you planned on for your Saturday. But it's what you got to do. Considering somebody else's feeling. Considering somebody else's situation. And we got to kind of have that attitude throughout the day. It's not all about me. Right? Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without favoritism. Anybody ever heard that word before? Favoritism means the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. And none of us are guilty of that, right? So you don't have to answer. But we gotta, we gotta be cognizant of, of what's going on because we do operate, we, we do have feelings and we do have emotions and we do have attitudes and we do have opinions about things day to day, right? 
And so we got to be careful that we don't let our personal opinions, our personal feelings, our personal attitudes get in the way of the way God would have us to function and operate in these situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. Right? Without favoritism. Because Jesus didn't practice favoritism, did he? he? His disciples tried to get him to, didn't they? <laughs> Which one of us is your favorite? Which one of us is going to sit next to you in the kingdom? Come on, Jesus. Who's going to be on the right? Who's going to be on the left? Come on, tell us. And who was prompting that? One of them's mother. Right? Go ask him. I want to know. Right? Pride gets in the way. And Jesus, he condemned them every time they did that. He said, you all don't understand the kingdom at all. There's not one up here and one down here. It's all the same. Right? We're all going to be on the same level, same playing field when it gets, when we get up there. Either you're going to be a sheep or you're going to be a goat. Right? <laughs> I don't want to be a goat. I want to be a sheep. Bah, 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 bah. I just want to be a sheep. Anyway. And it, finally it says there without hypocrisy, which is without insincerity. We don't do anything with insincerity, do we? We're not, we're always sincere about everything we do, aren't we? Aren't we? Somebody said supposed to be. We need to strive to be. And if you're, if you find that you're not, don't, don't fret over it. Say, God, I'm sorry. I was not sincere in that situation. God, forgive me for that. <laughs> and he said he's faithful and just to forgive us. Right? I, I always want to be sincere. I always want to do everything the way Jesus would do it, don't you? But sometimes we don't. We we sin and fall short of his glory. But I just, I'm going to be like the boxer that gets knocked down. I'm going to keep getting back up. Right? I'm not just going to lay there on the floor and say, well, I'm beat. Right? You might be beaten. Or you might be have been beat, but you're not beaten, right? You can still fight. You can still get up. Because greater is he that's in us, right, than he that's in the world. All, and I'm kind of bringing this to a close, all the advice and wisdom that James was imparting through his writing to the church was regarding things that he had learned and endeavored to practice in his own life and in his own walk with the Lord. How many, how many believes that? Because somewhere along the line, James wasn't in the church. He had to be saved like everybody else. Even though he was the brother of Jesus, that didn't get him in the door. The half-brother of Jesus, he had to have the same salvation experience. He had to walk every day and conduct himself and, and endeavor to be the best that he could be for the kingdom. And so he all he was doing was trying to say, guys, this is all the stuff I've learned in my walk, and as I'm going... Out of this world, as I'm getting ready to be taken out of this world, I want you to know that I want to encourage you to, to keep it going. Keep it going. He loved his fellow believers enough to take the time to write and exhort and encourage them and to keep the faith, to keep the faith and to pass on these same ideas and attributes to those, to them and to those that they were discipling. 
right? He wanted the best for them. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever written a letter. No, we don't do that. We type emails today. But if you've ever sat down and really wrote a serious letter to somebody, you don't just scribble anything down, do you? A letter like this, you, you're very thoughtful in what you're saying. And you, you're, you're trying to think. And, and a, you talk about a guy, he's getting ready to be put to death for the gospel, and he's trying to write something to leave to the church to encourage them, and he wants to say the right thing. <clears throat> you know, you don't just, you know, you can you can write or talk and say nothing. <laughs> there's, there's people that will give, give a speech in, for an hour and absolutely say nothing the whole time. Just blah, 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 and it, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. They just sit there and take it. And James didn't want to do that. He wanted to leave them with something that meant something to him, that it, it was out of his heart that he wrote this letter. Because he knew, number one, he was leaving the church to some other folks and that they were they were in the process of adding to the church that such as should be saved, right? So he knew that, that whatever he was passing on to those that were being left in charge was going to be passed on to future believers. And so he wanted to leave them something. And thank God he did. Because we have his letter today, and it's to us today, right? And I know we didn't get all the way through the book of James, but, man, there's just just the book of James, man. You, you could just feed on that for months. Talk about a buffet. You could feed on that for a long time. There's a lot there. You know, and I, I, as I'm studying this and reading this, I'm thinking, man, God, am I applying this? Help me if I'm not. Show me. You know, <laughs> you got to be careful what you pray sometimes. <laughs> I mean, Job didn't pray to have everything taken away, but God felt like he needed to do what he needed to do in Job's life to get his attention. Right? I just want to be saved. I, I, if God, if you got to do something to get my attention to show me that I'm not walking right, please do it. Because I'd rather be saved. And humbled, then not be humbled and not saved. Is that okay? Does that make sense? Anybody in here doesn't want to be saved? Okay. All right. Praise God. Well, we're going to let you go five minutes later than I intended, but God, we thank you for this opportunity to minister to your people today. I pray that something I've said, Lord, out of this man's brain, Lord, has helped somebody today, Lord, and I know that you we're here in the midst of us speaking to our hearts, Lord, that you have given somebody some nugget of truth that will help them today. Pray that you would help us and, and uh, come back. And, and uh, as we come back for the, the latter part of this service, as we hear from our pastor today, Father, that you would allow our hearts again to be ready and willing and able to receive what your word has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.